Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino. CEO, founder of Valley Prop, and your host on Business Growth on Purpose. And today's guest is Sean Klein, CEO of TurboTech Computer. And we're going to learn from Sean a, a couple of things that are very important at this time, at this inflection point in what's going on in the world of business, in the world, in the economy generally, and very specifically, how it ties into the life of somebody running a small or mid-sized company and how you leverage or perhaps are not leveraging technology to get the most out of what you do for the customers you value most to have the success you're aiming for. So listen closely as Sean joins us right now on Business Growth on Purpose. Welcome, Sean Klein, to Business Growth on Purpose. Thank you, Jose. Nice to be here. Well, Sean, just for our audience, if you give us a little context on what you do and who you do it for. So I'm president and CEO of TurboTech, and we help small and medium businesses be more awesome through technology. So we do that by increasing employee productivity, reducing risk, and providing strategic guidance, both short and long term. Wow. So your focus is the SMB market. Yeah. 20 to 100 employee firms is the sweet spot. You know, certainly we can work with smaller or larger, but that's a great kind of sized company, I find, for this style of outsourcing. Right. And that's usually a company, I'm assuming, you know, they don't really have like a, not really a VP of IT or somebody who's really that caught yeah, up on what's available to them. Not usually. I mean, some of the larger companies will have titles like that. But, um, you know, generally when you're under, it's it's hard to really retain such a person, you know, because right. uh, the challenge is that they only it's only one company. Right. <laughs> and the amount of technology is kind of limited. And so why would a high powered VP of IT do that? It's unusual. Um, there are exceptions. Uh, we had a customer where they had a chief information officer or CTO, I think was the title. But really, he was focused on software development. So there can be different right. things like that. Right. I could see that in a company that is itself technology technology focus, but then right. that focus on infrastructure. They're, exactly. they're really outbound focus towards whatever they're selling and, and, and marketing themselves. Exactly. So so now one of the things like so so you've been you've owned TurboTech how long now? Since well I guess it's going on well 13 years. I mean, okay. And so you uh as I understand from you know prior conversation, you acquired the company, right? So I you did. were in so you were you had a successful corporate career and you yes. said I'm gonna I'm going to own a business instead of working for a business. I'm going to be the man instead of working for the man. That's right. So, so what what led you to that transition? That always fascinates me. What leads somebody to be in business for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I would say I was always a bit of an entrepreneur. I was either uh, really even straight out of college, out of college, I had a computer science degree. I started working in what we called custom application engineering. And so it's getting a lot of exposure to customers. And I very quickly started getting involved in building a software business for a larger company, Teradyne, and a semiconductor business in Europe. 
And so I was traveling all around Europe and that just really got my juices flowing. You know, the idea of growing this business, which was very small, and I ended up actually quadrupling the business over there. And, and so every position I had in the corporate world, I was really focused on building businesses. And so I liked that. And then I got introduced to a boutique investment banking firm, and they introduced the idea of buying and selling companies. And so I ended up engaging with a, this company and uh, reached out to 700 companies in the area, talked with 70 CEO owners, presidents, myself, and this one came, you know, kind of rose to the top. So that's uh, uh, was my uh, experience. Right. So this isn't where you backed into it and like all of a sudden, you know, like, and I've, I've heard every kind of story doing working with owner led businesses for decades now. Right. And yeah, you know, very typical is, uh, you know, uh, dad, gives it to somebody all right sure. or somebody had no choice because dad got sick or, right. or and things like that so this is something you were very intentional you wanted to be in business yeah so i'm just curious from your perspective and i know it's a little bit ago but still i think it's it's important um thought from your perspective you had a belief or a um, a thought of what it would be like to run a business mm-hmm. such that you commission this investment bank you go through yeah. this search process yeah. But there's a day where now you got the keys hmm. and you're sitting at that new desk and now you you own it, whatever it is, right? Payroll, bills, everything else. What was different on the other side of the transaction than what you could have imagined? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say, I remember very clearly sitting at my new corner office yeah. And thinking, I have a lot of time on my hands. Because, you know, I had come, my last position, I was director of product marketing, excuse me, product management for RSA, the security division of EMC, a big company. And I had 14 direct reports and, you know, constantly doing reviews and strategy meetings and all these kind of things. And here, all of a sudden, I had an entity that I had total control of. And so I I was really happy about that. But then I I was saying that, um, you know, as time goes on, the buck stops here and I, I do martial arts and I've done knife fighting in my time and I compare it to practice blades, plastic, you know, practice blades versus a live blade and the dynamics of that. When you're working for someone else, ultimately they have the money and, you know, they're managing that. And of course you can get fired and that's, that's real. Um, but when you have your own business, literally payroll, literally people's lives are in your hands. And so it's a very different dynamic. Um, so it's that, you know, it's the beauty of kind of managing your own destiny to a certain degree. But also, you know, the dark side of that is you've got this thing to keep moving forward. Well, well, you know, I have friends. Well, actually, when I when I went through my, my MBA program, I would have colleagues that went through the program with me and they'd say, I'm an entrepreneur. And they was, and I said, really, tell me, because I didn't think you were, but tell me about it. And they described that entrepreneur mm-hmm. dynamic, right? So I said, okay, so you're a very creative person and you, you had probably a lot of runway to create new things. So in that sense, it's entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. but until you sign the front of checks, it's a different feeling, which is, is what you're, it just, it's a lot. What did you call the live blades? Yeah, I mean, I, I literally, um, you know, I, I had a knife fighting instructor, one of the best in the world, and he's practicing with one of his students who was there assisting. And in the middle of that, he pulls out a live blade. And it's like a laser pointing at you when that happens. You know, when it's a plastic blade, ultimately, you know, if you get hit with it, it's not going to be a problem. If you're working for a large corporation and you have a loss, it's like, oh, that's a bummer, you know, but we're going to recover. 
But right. when it's your own cash, you know, you're responsible ultimately. Very different feeling in my experience. Yeah, and it's funny. I've been I've been part of um, uh, an entrepreneurial company where people came in to the company from only corporate experiences. And when they would look at cash flow projections, they didn't see it the same way I saw it. I said, right. like, that red is a real red. Really, yes. It's not covered because you're a subsidiary and mothership just covers the red. It's, exactly. It's like you're out of business. You're, That's you're, right. People lose houses when that happens. They so do. That's right. It's a yeah. very different thing. Wow. So, Sean, so, so you know, so now these 13 years later, um, you seem to really enjoy what you do. And so yeah. is there any... Is there anything that would ever pull you back into corporate or is this like the life? This is the way you want you, you, you've you've kind of settled into this. This is what you want to be doing. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I guess I've gone through uh, phases in thinking about that. When I first started, I actually had uh, a coach ask me that question. You know, what if this doesn't work out? I said, oh, well, I'll just go back and get a job. And then years later passed and I said, you can pry this business from my dead fingers. And that's kind of how I feel. And it's a very much, I find myself, it's a very much of a faith-based activity. You know, I I might not see how I'm going to make enough money to do something I need to do. And I'm like, well, let's, what can we do today? (laughs) Keep moving the business forward. And it's been 13 years and I'm still here. (laughs) Right. Wow. Wow. Well, I I certainly can relate to that. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going on starting year 19 soon mm. in, in this year. I've started businesses before, but this one's the one that's stuck, you know, so it's, uh, and, and it is a, it is a definite feeling of uh, knowing that, you know what, I got to figure out today, today. Exactly. And, and, and there is no payroll if, unless we make stuff, stuff happen. So that's very, exactly. uh, which, you know, clears the nostrils and makes you think more sharply. I love yeah. the, the live blade example. I will not forget that. <laughs> um, yeah. Because you always wonder when you see these people do this, I said, at some point practice has to go from something fake to something real. And right. you know, how do you do that? All right. So now here we are, uh, we, the world coming out through this, you know, really once a century kind of event in the pandemic. Mm. Right. Uh, it affected everybody on the planet. You know, just sure. nobody escaped its its touch. And here we are coming out, I think, realistically, post pandemic. Officially, we're there. Right. Um, so what has changed in your observation in two dimensions? One small business world generally that you serve, mm-hmm. the market you serve, and for yourself, what's changed in terms of how you go to market, uh, how you run your business, uh, how you look forward to the next you know, 10 years or so of your business? What's different now and, and what's the same? Yeah, great question. I mean, the obvious, of course, is the dynamic of remote work. And you know, we had to learn how to do that. And now it's a different kind of um, feeling you have employees who don't want to go back to the office, even if you keep an office, not everyone does. And so, you know, that's something, a, a true reality there. Um, but I think also it's pivoting. It's really the importance of being, and I saw this not so much with myself, because I actually kept the business on the same business model and moving forward in, in the way that it did. Um, but with a lot of my uh, peers and colleagues in different industries, really having to take pretty dynamic shifts in their approach and take advantage of new opportunities. And so from my perspective, trying to support my customers in that way or my colleagues, I mean, for example, my business is proportional to the number of employees in the business. 
in terms of the revenue we get. Okay. And so I had one customer who had grown very large and then they went to nothing basically, you know, because they were reliant on in-home inspections and this type of thing. And, uh, and I helped them, you know, I brought my fees down to that minimum level that we had. And so it was a bit of a roller coaster with that. So I would say, you know, having the cash and having the business model to be able to flex in that way is uh, a very big lesson from the pandemic for a lot of people. Wow. Uh, so, so the ability, and I guess the, the thought too, because if you look backwards from the pandemic, you had, uh, you know, and go back to like 2006 to 2008, the housing recession and so on. Yep. Right? And, and you realize, okay, it's not that far back. And there's, and then you go before that you had nine 11 and, and so on. Right. So there's always something happening. It's not there like, yeah, the pandemic may have been once a century, but stuff happens all the time. It does. And actually, it's systemic in our um, economy, I think. In fact, I was talking to one of my product managers who worked with me at RSA. We were talking about the financial crisis because we were deeply affected. You know, Lehman went out of business. Right. They were a big customer, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, he was making the really good point. We're always going to have these financial shocks. Because our capitalistic society is incentivizing people to make money and people are creative and they're going to press the boundaries mm. always. And then it's this catch up game with government and regulation, all of that. And of course, that can never do it. So you're always going to have these things. And we saw it with Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, that's exactly what happened. They had a bunch of money. They invested it inappropriately and they went out of business. And this will always happen. Well, and then and although. The, in that particular case with SVB, uh, the government chose to cover their bets, the investors' yeah. bets in that. But, it, but you know, according to what is FDIC is what, 100,000, 200,000, and people had millions in there, 250. So right. that millions in there that was not right. really covered. So they were sweating. I read some articles, people were sweating bullets over that weekend. Absolutely. Not knowing where it was going to go. By Twitter, right? I mean, you have the CEOs <laughs> yeah. in Silicon Valley saying, hey, you better look out. And then all of a sudden there's a run on the bank. It's just a new world we're in. Wow. Wow. So now let's, let's take a look a little bit at the core of what your business does currently, what you do for clients, right? So sure. technology, clearly no one escapes it. No one escapes the need for it. Right. And, you know, everybody can have a CRM and ERP, some basic platforms. Everybody's on Zoom. But then you have this like now people, are, you know, AI is happening. Right. Yeah. And it's more real than people expected. That was Absolutely. the shock of chat. GBT is like, mm -hmm. oh, dang, this. It's not perfect, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, um, it's like seeing a bear dance like a ballerina. Well, mm -hmm. it's not pretty, but it's still amazing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what what do you see happening on a technology uh, horizon that is most important for an owner of a smaller business to be aware of? Yeah. So I think about strategy as being offense and defense. And with technology, I feel like a lot of owners in this space are on defense. You know, they're they're reacting a lot to what's going on and just trying to keep things running. And I think that there's a real opportunity to shore that up with process and then to go on offense and do exactly what you're talking about. I have another coach who said to me, you know, with things like uh, generative AI, chat GPT and the like, you can become an editor rather than an author. And it can save you five times the, uh, you know, reduce five times the amount of time you're spending on marketing or, or, or whatever it is. But it's a muscle and you got to get used to it. So I just encourage owners of small and medium businesses to think about what results do they want from their technology. And by the way, they may not know. 
because it, it, a lot of them don't even want to think about it. But it's a critical area for most businesses, you know, where you can get a competitive advantage by not having problems and by going on offense. I mean, I'll give you an example. I had a customer who we brought on just recently who they had an IT manager who left after, I believe it was 16 years suddenly. And so the CEO who I was friendly with over the years, just talking with and meeting, said, hey, uh, he saw one of my newsletters and said, go talk to my CFO. We're thinking of outsourcing our IT. And so I, I did. I engaged. I said, yeah, we can help you out. And he says, well, you know, we have special requirements. We're going to hire someone else. I'm like, okay, good luck. And let me know if I can help. They hired someone else. The CEO called me in a few weeks and said, I've got ransomware. I can't do anything. And I said, hmm, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to help you. I didn't have any contract, no agreement, but I sent someone in and we started to get them off their feet because the person they hired, no fault to him, but he was out of his depth. He could not handle this situation. And that's the challenge in these small and medium businesses to get someone. It's hard enough with whatever percent unemployment we have right now, very low, right. uh, to get anyone. And to get someone with uh, the 15 to 20 different technology areas that are required to prevent incidents like this, it's, it's practically impossible. It takes a, a village. And so, you know, it's this idea of having a process to shore up your defenses because that's what their problem was. They did not have security infrastructure aligned to best practices and standards. And so they were susceptible to a ransomware attack. And now, you know, we're kind of getting them through that. Now we can start to go on offense and say, okay, uh, you know, I have another customer who's connecting their CRM system, their um, line of business applications, their phone systems to accelerate sales. That's the offense side. And that's where we want to get. So I would just encourage owners to really be open-minded about thinking about this area as a functional group within their business, as important as legal, accounting, finance, HR, sales, operations, you know, technology is super important and can really accelerate a business and prevent big problems. Well, and, and it actually can benefit all those other areas exactly it's a, it's a point of leverage i mean certainly operations exactly. production anything like that i mean it just absolutely makes sense. yeah uh, and the uh, sales and marketing but you know a lot of it is people i think they read these articles and it feels very like well that happens to other people yeah so until it happened to that poor guy who got hit with ransomware which is like right. shocking just the the malevolence of behind doing a ransomware attack on a hospital or something like that is just it, to the average person is like, well, who would do that? Well, there's people who do that quite well. They they became very good at doing that. And uh, so, you, and, and you're right about the multidisciplinary. I mean, that just makes total sense to me. It's too complex. And a small company, I think you alluded to this earlier in this conversation, just cannot afford to hire the person. The person you can afford is not the person you need. Right. And the person you need is not one person. It's it's somebody. Well, and the other way to think about it is what do you want to have as a core competency? Mm. You know, you want to have product, service, sales. You know, these are things which make sense for most businesses to have as a core competency. It really doesn't make sense for most businesses to have IT as a core competency. Right. If you're a Walmart, Sure, it does sure. because you're optimizing your supply chain. That is absolutely a core competency of them. But for a 20 to 100 employee company, it's too expensive. Right. And if a 20 to 100 partner law firm, yeah. IT is not what they're selling, right? So no, they're, 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 they're selling, uh, they're producing documents 
or they're in court and which has a different dynamic in terms of strategy and, and communication and all of that, but they're not producing information technology, you know, that's not right. their core competency. Right. Well, so let me let me ask this question then, um, uh, Sean, as we come kind of round the mountain on, on this conversation. And thank you so much for being part of Business Growth on Purpose. This is it's always exciting for us to talk to owners who are living the dream, you know, actually doing the doing. So as we look out into uh, the next decade or so, right? Mm -hmm. So much has changed, continues changing, the rate of change, you hear that all, all the time. Uh, and you alluded to this about finding good talent, right? Mm. So one of the big challenges, of course, is, and, and people are really talking about in some companies, you have like, you know, four generations of people working all the way from, you still have boomers and then, you, you know, millennials and Zers and Xs and so on. And, and I guess my question is, what do you see changing it, how much of that is just the same generational bias that goes back like for millennia that the older generation always thinks the younger generation doesn't get it? And how much do you think is actually a fundamental shift in how, especially in small businesses, how people need to lead or manage staffs with the younger talent coming into the market today? Wow, great question, big question. I'm not sure I'm qualified or wise enough to answer that uh, sufficiently. But I would just talk about a pattern of death and rebirth. You know, I mean, that is the pattern of life. And we have to embrace what the new generation is doing, whatever that is. I mean, think about social media. If you looked back 10, 15 years, that just wasn't a factor. It if wasn't I'm a thing. It wasn't a thing. Right. It wasn't really a thing. Right? <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden it became a thing. And who had the core competencies? It was the younger generation at that time who was raised on their smartphones and you know doing things like this. And so I think that's true of all of these technologies. You know, there's going to be certain people who really embrace AI, for example, and are doing that. And we have to be really open-minded. A beginner's mind is one of my company's core values. And so I think this sort of hits on what you're saying is try to constantly have a beginner's mind and not say, okay, we've always done it this way. Mm. Now, that said, you know, I think rigor of system is important. And a lot of times the fundamental process doesn't change. You know, if you're talking about the sales process, it's really just, you know, do you have a business model that's profitable? Do you have a relentless approach to reach out to customers in whichever way you're doing it? Are you disciplined on reporting to that? Are you accountable? Those are things that are going to last forever. You can go back and read a book by Peter Drucker, and he'll talk about right. things like this, I'm sure. But I think we have to look at the new generation and see how they're interacting, how they're communicating, and welcome that. And you see really good CEOs of, from Fortune 500 on down having that humility to say, yeah, we're open-minded. We want to learn, and I want to see what the next thing is going to be. The next thing that's always exciting. It's exciting and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Sean Klein, thank you so much for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. If if somebody wanted to know more about you, your work, your firm, where should they go to find out more? Probably the easiest is our website, turbotechcomputer.com. And that's T-U-R-B-O-T-E-K computer.com. I'll just caution people that really a conversation with me is the best way to do it. So feel free to reach out to me through that uh, website. But um, you can certainly take a look, take a look at my blog. Fantastic. Sean, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. 
If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth On Purpose.